The Lord already showed me what I got to get. I want the Lord to show you. Next week, we're going to take a special offering outside of the tithe and offering. We're going to send it. Uh, no, I think our church in Chalmette has already raised $5,000. I want us to do our part. We're not as big as that church, but we can give. So I want you to come next week prepared to give an offering for that. We're going to take a special one. And uh, the money is secure. We know where it's going. We've contacted pastors there. Uh, we know the pastors. We know where the money's going to go and how, how much it's going to do. So be thinking about that. My wife and I spent probably over a week there. We were in a different church every night. Those people are good people. They're God's people. So we need to do our best. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> I can get my eyes cleared up here. Brother Keith Tusi, like he told you, he was arrested over there uh, for helping out churches. That's when Russia was in control. I mean, no Russia's ungodly government. How many know the church is under attack? So I'm going to start this message with a little history lesson. The Church of Jesus Christ has been under attack at its beginning. It has survived 2,000 years. It has endured all sorts of attack from within, from without, but the church is still alive, and God is going to keep it alive till he comes back. But the first 300 years, the church, we read the the book of Acts was basically a house church. There was no temples, there wasn't no cathedrals, there wasn't no buildings where the church met. It was house to house. That's why I believe in small groups and we're going from house to house. Uh, I remember when we were in Chalmette, uh, when we had the church up to 600 people, we had, uh, I think, 80 groups out there. And I used to think to myself, if the church ever got persecuted where we couldn't meet in that building, we would still be meeting because we were meeting in homes. That's how the early church started for 300 years. There was no church building. The church met in small groups in the homes until the uh, Roman emperor Constantine became a Christian. The ruler of the Roman government became a Christian and the persecution ceased. But because the church became involved in the government, out came the Roman Catholic Church. That's when you see Roman is because the church became affiliated with the government. And out came the Roman Catholic Church, out came Catholicism, which turned Christianity from a faith-based belief system 
to a works-based system where they preach salvation by works where you could work your way to heaven by saying so many prayers and going through so many things and rituals and what have you. And uh, it also created a, a uh, natural earthly priesthood. They have a priesthood. They established a priesthood which undermines the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ who's sitting at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for us. There is no one making intercession for us. There's no saints. There's no other name that will intercede for you and I outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that system became a salvation by works, which is no salvation at all. Because Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, say that, not by works, not by works, so that no one can boast. We can't boast about anything. Everything, only thing we can boast about what Paul says is the cross of Calvary. That's what we boast about. It's not about us, it's about him. So the Roman church led the world for 1,200 years of what history called the Dark Ages. It was dark because the word of God, which is the light of God, was not preached. It was shut down. Nobody had Bibles. The only people that, that could read the Bibles was the priesthood. And the ordinary people had to just listen to what they said until the year 1517, there was a Catholic priest by the name of Martin Luther who read the Bible and by revelation of the Holy Spirit, he realized that salvation was by faith. It was not by works and that all of the teaching of the church was false. He saw all the fallacies in the church. The church was selling forgiveness of sins. If you wanted your sins forgiven, bring the money. But Martin Luther saw all the contradictions of the church according to the Word of God. Remember, this is the truth of God. If anybody tells you anything outside of what's in here, they're a liar. The, so what he did, he protested. That's where we get the word a Protestant from. We're Protestants. We're not Catholics. We're not Roman Catholics. We're Protestants because we're protesting what they're doing because it's not based on God's word. So Martin Luther wrote his 95 Theses and nailed it to the door of the castle church in Winningburg, Germany against the church, a so-called church. He became excommunicated and he was marked as a heretic. But he became the father of what we now have as the Protestant church because he believed the word of God was going to be true. 
the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is the light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The church from time to time has fallen asleep, just like many Christians. They go to sleep. Somebody's got to wake them up. They fall asleep along the way. And, and uh, history tells us that for the past 200 years, there have been some spiritual awakenings in America. The first one was in the year uh, 1730 to 1740s. And, the, and, it, and there was an awakening because the preaching of the gospel went forth and the preaching of salvation by faith and being born again created an awakening in America. Then there was a second great awakening that took place in 1790s. It wasn't quite as emotional as the first, but it brought forth Christian colleges. It brought forth seminaries to, to raise up ministers and mission societies to begin spreading out. The third great awakening took place from the late 1850s to the turn of the 20th century. At that time, there was a movement in a church called the Holiness Movement that was a deeper commitment to the Word of God. They really got into the Word and began believing every word in here. Well, they discovered that the early church, you read the book of Acts, that the early church was experiencing things that the church was not. And that was all the mighty moves of God's Holy Spirit. And they believed, the holiness movement believed, that we've got to come out of that world. They, they separated themselves from the movie houses, from the barrooms, from get out of that. That was all worldly. So they separated themselves, and it was a holiness movement that saying we're not going to be any part of that world out there. And by doing that, they began to believe God for the same experience that the early church had. And that experience was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They said, wait, this is what happened to the early church. Why isn't it happening now? Well, they got some denominations today say that all passed away. Well, if all that passed away, then we got to tear some pages out of this Bible because it don't apply to us anymore. But it does. Yes. They believed it does. And by believing it, they experienced it. And this is where there was a spiritual awakening caused by this group, this holiness group, which came from many different places and sects. They began receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of God began to operate in their midst and operating on the truth of the Word of God. They sought the evidence of speaking in tongues and spiritual gifts and operation in the church. They became very emotional. 
They got other religions that criticize us because we get too emotional. Well, I tell you something. You get in the presence of God, you're going to get emotional. When you know the presence of God's in your midst, you're going to get emotional. I was telling my wife that years ago when we was in Chalmette, when revival was really taking place, I mean, we were winning 15, 20 people a week. Church was growing leaps and bounds. I had a lady come up to me. It was the first time in the church. And uh, she came up to me and said, Pastor, we had an altar, and we had all these Kleenex boxes along the altar. And she came up to me and says, uh, Pastor, what? What is all these Kleenex boxes doing on there? I said, you'll find out. After service, she came up to me. She said, I needed one of them Kleenex boxes. Because let me tell you something. You get in the presence of God, and you're going to get emotional because God's going to start dealing with you. You're going to know God is who he is. Then you see, when that happened at the turn of the century, then spiritual life began to fill the church again. The Pentecostal movements began to reach out to the world, and it did. I mean, it's in the Ukraine. It's in Russia. I've been both places. That This Pentecostal movement has reached the world. Why? Because they're operating under the power and the anointing of God's Holy Spirit. Now, these churches that don't recognize the Spirit of God are closing up. They're closing up. Why? Because God don't work in flesh. God works in spirit. God is a spirit. And his, he's going to get things done by his power, which is the power of God's Holy Spirit. The church was empowered by the Holy Spirit to reach the world with the gospel. Christianity is not a religion. It's a lifestyle. It's a life that God gives us to live. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then in John 10, 10, he says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Say to the full. To the full. Not a piece of life, but a full life. The NIV says a full life. The King James says life more abundantly. Then the New Living Translation says a rich and satisfying life. Let me tell you something. If you claim to be a Christian you're not satisfied, something wrong. I think you need to come back to the cross once again. Because I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what problems you have. I don't care what you're facing in life. You ought to be satisfied that you're going through these troubles with someone instead of alone. So I titled the message today. That was just to let you know. So I entitled the message today, Awaken to Life. To life. And that's not a religion. It's not a natural life. It's a full life, a new life, one different from the one we inherited from our parents. Different from that. And we're not just talking about any kind of life, we're talking about a dynamic power 
that is in us, which is eternal life. Eternal life is another nature. It's, it's not a religion. It's a nature that we receive that belongs to another dimension. I realized when I first got saved that something happened to me. Something came into me that was not of this world. It wasn't of this world. And I realized not too long after that that this life don't even fit here. It belongs somewhere else. You know where it belongs? It belongs around the throne of God is where it belongs. That's where it's heading. See, that's where it's heading. And it's a dimension and a realm that is God himself. God himself. Eternal life is, is living this life in the presence of God. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. What does that mean? That means every second of my life, I know he's there. Every second. When Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer to the Father, in John chapter 17, he was praying about his disciples, and he said this in John 17, 14. He says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus was telling the Father, they're not of this world any longer. You see? See, we're not of this world any longer. We are now connected to God in a supernatural way. Supernatural way. I didn't get connected to God because I signed a membership card in the church. No. I became born again by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that new nature is at work within us. That new nature is changing us. Let me tell you something. It's working with some things in our life. Some good things in our life he's working with. But there's some things in our life he's working against. That power is working against anything in our life that is not the character and the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's in your life, that nature is going to work against it. Anything that is not Christ-like, he's going to work against it. The Bible calls this sanctification or purification, or in other words, holiness. Remember I was telling you about that holiness movement. They realized we can't be a part of this world. We can't even look like this world. We can't even act like this world. We can't even talk like this world. They had to get out. And when they got out, they found the power of God. You won't have the power of God mingling in with that out there. You can forget it. The book of Hebrews in verse uh, uh, 14 of chapter 12 says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Think about that. You have plans on seeing the Lord when this life is over? Well, you're not going to do it without holiness. You're not going to see the Lord mixed up in that world out there and doing all the things that they, they do. Listen, I miss preaching my Mardi Gras message to you guys. I used to do it every year, and I'd lose probably five, ten families. Because somehow they just don't get it. You can't come in here 
and raise your hands to the living God after you'd have raised your hands to all the idols in the world out there. That don't work. That don't work. If you want your kids out there jumping, shouting for trinkets and raising their hands to all the false gods that these parades are named after, then you're going to have to answer for that. I ain't going to answer for not telling you. I'm telling you, stay away from that stuff. What is it? Just drunkenness and revelry. I remember years ago when I was living in Metairie, I, I came home, I got caught in one of those parades on, on Veterans Highway. I couldn't get out of it. I was on a side street. They had to wait for the thing to get over. And, and the Lord was showing me as the people were leaving the parade, what was leaving there? I saw homosexuals come by. I saw a drunken priest come by. I saw, I saw all kind of drunkenness and everything that was passing. This was at that parade. Now, if you want to take your kids there in that mess, then you will have to answer for that. But it was the holiness movement that really began to, to receive the power of God. See, you don't need what I'm telling you. You don't need this power of the Holy Ghost if you're not ready and desire to live a holy life. You don't need this power if you're not interested in being connected to the Great Commission which is on that wall there about winning people to Christ. You don't need that. If you just want to sit in church and go home, you don't need any of that. But if you want to live a holy life, a life that's righteous before God, you need this. You need the power of God operating in your life. This is what's conquering our sinful nature. And this is the new life, the new life that God gives us. He, he's talking about a full life. It is the life of Christ that was promised to us. I want to tell you something. This is a promise of God to give you a full life. Not a piece of a life, but a full life. Now, the fivefold gift ministry that God has given the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, is for one purpose. And let, let me read that to you in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. It says, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the what? The fullness of Christ. Not a piece of Christ, but the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ. Of Christ is God's divine purpose for Christians. We're to have it all. I don't know about you. I want it all. I want everything. He died for me on the cross of Calvary. I want all the benefits. All of it. Being full of the Holy Ghost. Being healed. Being delivered. Being free. I want it all. I want everything He died for me to have. No Christian at any time in history, has obtained the full measure here. In fact, the Apostle Paul admits it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, 
not that I have already attained or I am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Paul said, I haven't got it yet. All that he did, all the churches he started, all the gospel and, and, and the, the books and letters that he wrote to the church, all that he did, the miracles that he did, he says, I'm not there yet, but I'm pressing on because he wants more. Paul wasn't satisfied. But it means that the Christian life is in progress. It's all We're all moving forward to the ultimate fullness that Christ has promised us the fullness of Christ can only mean one thing, and that is the nature and character of Christ. In fact, Romans 8.28 tells us about all things working together for the good of them that love God and called according to His purpose. And you read verse 29, he says, because we have been predestined to conform to the image of His Son. That's it. Whatever you're going through in your life, God is using that to conform us to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we might have the fullness of life. The church today, you know, we, I told you about the great awakenings that took place. The only reason why the great awakenings took place is because the church, the body of Christ, was far from what God wanted. God somehow had to send a wake-up call to it to get it back on track again. Yeah, people say, you know, the church is evolving. The church is not evolving. The church is trying to get back to what it was in the beginning with all the power and the anointing and the word and the miracles and all of that. That's right. We're not evolving into something else. We're trying to get back to what God said it is. But the church today is heading in the same condition by suppressing the Holy Spirit. Now, very little teaching and preaching about it. They're preaching all kind of stuff. How to be successful in life. They're not preaching that we need the power and the anointing of God's Holy Spirit. We need the gifts of God's Holy Spirit operating in this place. We're not the church if we're not. There are even churches claiming to have the Pentecostal experience and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but yet they forbid the speaking in tongues in the church. Ignoring Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39, where Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy. How much prophesy is going on here? Very little. It, no, it, it needs to be more than that. There needs to be prophecy going on in this church. We need to be moved by the Holy Spirit to, be, to speak words to this church, not just the preacher, not just the elders, but the body needs to be prophesying words of encouragement, words to strengthen the church, words to encourage the church. It needs to be coming forth by the Spirit of God. 
In 1 Corinthians 14, 39, Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. I can tell you, I can, I can make a list of churches that will not allow that. So what are they doing? They're disobeying what God is saying. Now, they said, but everything's going to get crazy. Listen, we had 600 people in met. There were prophecies coming forth every week. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge. Things were coming forth. We kept it in order. It was in order. I wouldn't let it get out of order. Sometimes it did. I had to correct people. But hey, just because somebody makes a mistake, that don't mean we cut everything out. No, we want God to move in here. It said, but let everything be done in fitting and orderly way. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy should be in the body of Christ. Listen, I'm not going to pastor a dead church. Never did, never will. Because that ain't the church. The church is a church when you come in here, the Spirit of God is alive and moving. Why? Because we are welcoming the Holy Spirit. This is the fullness of the spiritual life in the church that we must be awakened to. That's what that holy, holiness movement did. In fact, when I first became a pastor, I kept reading the book of Acts. I said, why in the church like this? Why, why is it like this? Well, if you don't preach it, you're never going to get it. See, this is the fullness of the spiritual life that we've got to be awakened to. This is life, okay? Uh, I remember back in the 80s, uh, even in the Assemblies of God, which I was there, they wanted to be like the Baptists where, you know, all the preachers got the PhDs. Call them, not pastor, but doctor. Half of them were Dr. Dumbbells. They had so much knowledge, but they didn't have the Holy Ghost. They can, they can, they can really lay it out there. Man, it preach messages are so far over my head. Jesus said in John 14, 12, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. If we ought to do as a church, do greater things than Jesus did, you're not going to do it without the Holy Ghost because that's how he did it. He was full of the Holy Ghost. That's why he did miracles. That's why he did the things he did. That's why his words were so powerful. We need to be full of what he was full of. He was full of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 4, 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. We know what that was about. The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The devil came to him with the best he had. With the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, everything he had, he threw it at Jesus. 
And Jesus put him down on every point. Why? Because he is full of the Holy Ghost. If you want to live this life and this this world that we're living, this ungodly world that we're living in right now, you ain't going to do it without the power of the Holy Ghost. You'll fall by the wayside. You'll fall by the wayside. See, Paul's command to the church in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. We've got more Christians that, that are sipping wine today than anything. Yeah, man, they just drink. Oh, Jesus drank it. I'll have a go get drunk. People say, I don't get drunk. Well, how do you get drunk? You got to start drinking. You're not going to get drunk if you don't drink it. But if you keep drinking it, you're having a chance of getting drunk. So why don't you just stay away from it? Right? It's like saying, oh, I'll just watch a little pornography. I don't watch all of it. Just a little. Yeah. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is being full of the life of Christ. If we're to represent Christ here on earth, you're not going to show them your church membership card. That ain't going to do it. Somebody's got to see something in you that they don't see in everybody. And that thing that they're going to see in you is not you. It's Christ. <laughs> it's Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. That's what, what's going to be in you. See, it's the same spirit that Jesus was filled with. It's the same spirit that, that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same spirit that, that Christ beat the devil with. It's the same spirit that led Christ to the cross of Calvary where he won the victory. The same spirit. It's the same spirit that took him out of the tomb. The very same spirit. Not a different spirit. You think about that. 2,000 years ago, Christ came out of the tomb. He was raised up by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The same spirit that was in that tomb 2,000 years ago is now in me. Now in you. Not a different one. The same one. See, in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, Paul said, because those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. You want to be a child of God? You got to be led by the Spirit. You can't just go through your life living your own way. No, you got to be led by the Spirit. I look at the 50 years of my life as a, as a Christian Every part of my life, once I surrendered to Christ and was filled with the Holy Spirit, I can go back. Every aspect of my life, my wife can tell you, was led by the Holy Spirit. We pastored four churches, pioneered three of them. I didn't have no idea doing that, but I was led by the Spirit. This church here. I left the church in Covington to come here. Why? Because the Spirit was leading me to do it. It's through the Holy Spirit that we receive this power. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, and this is one of my favorite scriptures here to read. Uh, this is what it says. In verse 3, it says, His divine power. Say power. 
power. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about God's power. Okay? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may, this is the part I love, and, and, and if you can just understand this, that through them you may participate. What, what does that word mean, participate? It means I can get involved in it. I can participate in a divine nature, and when I do that, I'm going to escape the corruptions in the world out there by evil desire. You want to get free of that out there? You better participate in the divine nature of God. We got to be like God. We got to look at this world like God looks at it. Same way. This is the full life that we got to be awakened to this. See, we, we need to be awakened to this divine nature that the Bible tells me I can participate in. I want to be like that. I want to be like Christ. And I have the opportunity to do it. I can participate in it. Because if we're not participating in the divine nature of God, which is the fullness of Christ, then what am I doing? Why are we even here? What are we doing? But what is the nature of this life? Well, when we read the Gospels, we see the ministry of Jesus, not only his teaching, but all his miraculous healings. We want to see healings here. We want to see deliverance here. Then somehow we got to be connected to this divine nature of God that we can do the things God does. That's the only way it's going to happen. Healings were really an analogy of the power of eternal life. When Jesus did America showed you. <laughs> That's God. That's eternal life. Even more. He, he did healings, but he raised people from the dead. If you want to get an analogy of eternal life, see somebody who was dead come back to life. Not only he raised people from the dead, he raised himself from the dead. He told the religious leaders, you, you, you destroy this temple and I'm going to raise it up in three days. They thought he was talking about the building. He was talking about himself. You destroy this temple, I'm going to raise it up in three days. He did. So it was proof that he had the power for eternal life. But there's one healing that is a great analogy of eternal life, and it's found in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, After this there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude. There's a lot of Questions I'm going to ask Jesus about this, but i got to wait till I get there. And these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. 
Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already had been there in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, this is the religious people now, the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. You see, here's a man who was crippled for 38 years. See, a bed, you think about, you like your bed? I like my bed. When me and my wife travel, the only thing I hate is I'm not sleeping in my bed. I wish I had my bed, my pillow, but I don't. I got these hard pillows, hard mattress, different place. And, and, uh, but a bed is really supposed to be a good thing, a blessing, a comfort. I can't wait. My wife can't wait. She, she wants to go to sleep at 6 o'clock sometimes. She just wants to get in that bed. I said, I got to wait till at least 8. No. <laughs> we go to bed early because I get up early. I'm a 5 o'clocker. Okay? And I can't get up at 5 if I'm up at 12. Okay? You can't, can't hoot with the owls at night and fly with the eagles in the morning. I want to fly with the eagles in the morning. So I got to go to bed. You understand? But a bed is supposed to be a comfort. It's supposed to be a good thing. And, and, and in case of this man, his bed actually became a symbol of his weakness, his bondage. See, he couldn't get out of that bed. See, he was in the bed. See, that bed that I love so much, if the day comes where I can't get out of it, I'm going to hate it. See, now the thing that I love so much, now I'm going to hate it because I can't get out of it. See, his bed now became a tyrant to him. His bed became an a, 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 a enemy of him. He can't get out of it. This is a picture of mankind. Mankind is living their life. They think they got it. They can't get out of it. See, they, it, it's, it's no matter how many sins they're committing, how much stuff they're going through, none of that matters. What matters is standing face to face with the perfection of God in Christ Jesus. That's what happens when the gospel is being preached. You a sinner, me a sinner, we come face to face with perfection, holiness. See, how could this man at his best measure up to Jesus? At his best, he, he didn't deserve anything. He didn't deserve anything. See, that man could not do it. See, because there's nobody righteous. The Bible said no not one of us is righteous. We all have sinned. We all come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. Thank God for the gospel. So what is our hope? Well, our hope is in Christ alone. Our hope is in the grace of God. This invalid man, every time I read this thing, 
And, and I'm going to ask Jesus, they had a lot of people, why didn't he heal them all? He picked out this one guy. The invalid man couldn't help himself. He couldn't get into the water. But I want to tell you, the invalid man didn't finish his life around that pool. He had a glorious experience when Christ came into his life. See, in the beginning, he was totally dependent on other people. But at the end, there was something that was in him that made him possible to stand. And that, 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 that power that, that not only made him walk, but he continued to walk. He walking all the time. He began to walk in the power of God from the spoken word of Jesus Christ. What he did, and think about it, he didn't even know who Jesus was. He didn't know what he did. Listen. Everybody don't have to understand everything in the Word of God. You don't have to understand it all. But when you hear the Word, you need to obey it. See, that's all he knew. He didn't even know who Jesus was. Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. He took up his bed and he walked. See, when the Lord comes on a scene, man discovers that in him there is an energy in life that flows out from him. That energy is eternal life. That is what we receive from God. I received the life from God that, that is not natural. It never left me. It won't leave me. It's going to take me all the way to heaven. That's, that's what it's going to do. It came in, and it's here. And, it, and it's going to stay here. See, eternal life has two elements. One is the quality of eternal life, and the other is the duration. The quality of eternal life is the main factor because it's a sense of permanence. See, I know I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. I'm going to leave this body, but I'm not dying. I'm going to leave here. I'm going to see Jesus. I, I'm going to see Jesus face to face. Why? Because that's what the Bible says I'm going to do. It's the nature of God. When we receive this life, it's the very nature of God. It, I'm participating in the, the divine nature of God. That's what makes me a new creature. I'm not the old Carl anymore. I'm a new Carl. I'm a new creation. My wife told me when I got saved, she, probably, she said, you're not the man I married. Thank God I'm not. Thank God I'm not that wretched thing that you married. See, we're different now. It makes us think different. makes us talk different. makes us act different. The effect of receiving eternal life is a sense, I don't know about you, but I've reached my end. I've reached my end. I finally found what I've been looking for all my life. I got it. See, and that should satisfy you. It's the first thing when you become conscious of eternal life is that the search is over. I found what I've been looking for. 
the drugs couldn't do it, the alcohol couldn't do it, the sex couldn't do it, the money couldn't do it, the fame couldn't do it. None of that could do it. This did it. This did it. See, we reached the end of a long history of a, a dissatisfied life. How many people in the world are dissatisfied with their life? That's why we as a church ought to tell them. We got the answer here. You don't have to be dissatisfied anymore. You don't have to be depressed anymore. You don't have to be downtrodden anymore. You see, once they've tried it all, nothing has filled the emptiness inside of them. But we have discovered the secret of its very existence. Eternal life has, has created a purpose and an object for my life. I realize now, I know why God made me. I know why I'm here. I didn't come here on my own. He put me here. Now I know why. You'll never find that out until you receive eternal life. See, you might not even be able to define it. But there's a strong sense in you that you have now have a purpose in your life. And that purpose has nothing to do with time. It has everything to do with eternity. I'm looking beyond this life into eternity. See, there's a strong desire to go out and tell somebody. That's how you know when people really got the life. They're ready to tell somebody. Because you realize the purpose in receiving eternal life is to be connected to the body of Christ, which is his church. See, this is not just a place you just want to come to. This is a place that you want to join up with the purpose of Christ, and that is to reach people for the kingdom. We would find this fulfillment by our involvement in the mission of the church. This is the mission of the church. It's very plain to see. God's will and purpose in our life will never be accomplished outside of the body of Christ. See, you don't, you don't receive eternal life to go live isolated somewhere. I had people say, well, I, 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 I accepted Christ when I was 13 years old. I didn't come back to church. I'm just good. No, you're not good. You get saved. You become part of the body of Christ. We've been, the Bible says that, that, that we've been baptized by one spirit into one body. Not two bodies, three bodies, hundred bodies, one body. See, that's a lie of the devil that tells people that, that, that you don't have to be part of this. You don't have to be part of a thing, a church, or any. Yeah, that's a lie of the devil. And that's why many people fall and, and they're led into their ruin because they disconnected themselves from the body of Christ where the power of God, the anointing of God is flowing through his body. Everybody who has received eternal life has to find their place. You have a place here. You need to find what that place is. You got to say, hey, I'm here. Where's my place? What am I a part of in this body? See, eternal life is related to Christ. It is Christ who has paid the price for us to have eternal life. Uh, Paul said, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul here relates the price of sin to death. 
not just natural death, but eternal death. But he relates the gift of God, which is eternal life, to Jesus Christ. That eternal life comes in the form of God's Holy Spirit. When we have received the Holy Spirit, it's all that God can give us. That's it. The Holy Spirit is his life. That's the life that he gives us. It's all about that God has to give us is eternal life. Now we need to learn how to appropriate what we have. How do we enjoy what we have to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you this question. How are you facing this year? Year 2022. How, how are you facing it? Do you feel like you're spiritually crippled? Are you in despair? Can't think you're ever going to walk this thing out? Is there a feeling of helplessness to serve God in any degree? You might be saying we tried and failed again and again. Well, let me tell you what the Lord is telling you. He's telling you to pick up your bed right now and walk. He's telling you whatever it is that's keeping you from serving God, pick it up now. Pick it up. Pick up your bed and walk. Jesus said this in John 6, 63. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Listen. Flesh counts for nothing. You're not going to get anything done in the flesh. It's going to be by the spirit. The words are spoken to you are spirit and they are life. See, that crippled man at the pool didn't even know who Jesus was. All he had to do was to obey the words spoken to him, and he obeyed. Let's obey the words of Jesus. Let's take up that bed today that we thought we can't get out of. Let's pick it up. Let's, let's have the life that God has given us, the full life that Jesus promised us. Eternal life is only related to one person. His name is Jesus. If you're here today, we're going to sing a song here in a minute. I want you to stand with me. I love this song because it talks about just what I preached about. I've heard the world. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Messages, treasures of fame, nothing like. What thing has got sabotaged? And you came along, put me back together. 